Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 178 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed the Windows and Apple operating systems and operating systems upgrades in general. We've had a number of conversations recently about how to start a podcast and what our advice would be for podcasters. We thought it'd be a good time to go all meta and podcast about podcasting. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be, in, indeed, we'll be talking about podcasting. Uh, we will offer some practical tips for getting one started. In our second segment, which is quickly becoming stuff where Tom needs to learn more about technology, we're going to speculate on how drones might affect the practice of law. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we're going to share our insights from really more than nine years of podcasting. This is our 178th episode. It's hard to believe that we have actually been recording about 20. That makes 20 podcasts a year since we started it. Really, that may not seem like yesterday, but it sure doesn't seem quite that long. Dennis, has it really been more than nine years since episode number one? Yeah, it is hard to believe, and it's. Uh, I, I still think it's a funny story of how we we started doing the podcast, which was we were selected to speak at ABA Tech Show about podcasting. Now, I sort of think it was because we're the only two people familiar with podcasts, and I think it was because we talked about listening to podcasts. Although I'm, I'm sure that that I had been interviewed on podcasts, and I think you probably had as well. So as we we're trying to figure out how to put the the presentations together. We said, you know, the best way to prep for this and, and what to talk about would be to create our own podcast. And out of that, the podcast was born. Yeah, I agree. I, the past nine years, I think we've learned a lot in terms of, you know, right then we, we've kind of demonstrated that we tend to learn about how uh, to do things by actually getting in and doing them. And that was really no uh, no exception, although 178 podcasts translates to 20 a year. We, we were kind of off and on for a while until we've started here with the Legal Talk Network. It's been a lot more recent, um, but uh, it's really, I think, been a good learning experience and and I think it's put us in a good position to understand what are good options for people who might be interested in podcasting and I know that that this past year Adam Cameron and I spoke at Tech Show on podcasting and how to get it started and I think we've talked in a previous podcast about the golden age of podcasting and how it seems to be experiencing a resurgence and so I think it made it a good time for you and I to talk about what we've done and what we recommend other people to do yeah, and I guess that really longtime fans will know that, that actually there are the six sort of hidden episodes that happened before we went to Legal Talk Network that aren't added to the 178, which are our totally roll our own podcast where you and I really did figure everything out, how to record, what software to use, how to get it edited. Um, it's kind of, I always feel that's sort of how we figured out our division of labor 
in in doing podcasting as as we went forward and i did a lot of editing you figured out how to get it onto itunes and and all the other stuff that we did uh to do the the show notes and all those sorts of things and we we just figure that out on our own and then we turned it into a presentation sharing what we knew so it really does go back and i think the pivotal thing for us and i think we'll talk about this uh, because how important it was in us being able to maintain a podcast is you know getting to be part of the legal thought network where we became much more in the way of talent um, rather than producer you know director recorder editor and that makes a, a huge difference and, you know, my best tip if you're doing your own podcast is to get is to get a producer who takes care of all the hard stuff. But that's, I don't think, what we want to discuss, Tom. I think we want to go back to the heart of it and say, okay, so you're somebody who wants to have a podcast or maybe you have one that you've started but you don't know what to do with or, you know, you'd like to take it to the next level. I think that's what we want to talk to in this episode. So I, I think the basic question time is like, why would somebody want to do a podcast? Well, but I want to maybe address just a little bit further kind of what I think is the elephant in the room that you've alluded to, which is what I would think it, uh, I'm going to start before I start with the pros, the advantages of having a podcast. I want to talk about the disadvantages because I think Dennis is right. I think if you want to, I mean, oh, having a producer produce your podcast is really a great situation because you can be the talent. You can just sit there and record it. Um, but the reality is, is that there aren't a whole lot of people out there producing legal podcast. Now, there are a lot of, and we can talk about this more later, there are a lot of freelancers out there who will help you edit your audio and help you on the on the production side so that you don't have to do it all yourself. But to me, the biggest drawback is making sure that you're willing to make the time commitment necessary to getting things done or finding the right process to where that time commitment is not a big deal. Now, that said, that's to me the biggest drawback to being a podcaster. In my opinion, the advantages or the benefits of being a podcaster far outweigh that disadvantage. So, I mean, clearly we're talking, you're, you're becoming a, a broadcaster, you're creating your own radio station, a time-shifted radio station. Uh, you're getting exposure for that, assuming that you can market yourself and the, or that others market you. You have the ability to provide thought leadership and expertise in, in areas that you have expertise in and you can get out there and, and, you know, in much the way that we used to talk about blogs providing that, podcasts can do it in a same, more immediate way that they're listening to you. The fact that a lot of the podcast people do, if, if you do things that tend to be on evergreen type topics, then you can have a long shelf life for your podcast. People can go back four or five years later if the topics are such and they can still get value out of what you've uh, recorded. It's also, I think, one of the other advantages and, and one reason to do it is that it helps to engage with your clients. It's another way to provide them with useful information the same way that you might send uh, a newsletter out to your firm clients or the way that you might have a blog or do some other electronic media way. I think that having a podcast is just another tool in the arsenal to produce things. And since people are becoming more used to listening to their content and or viewing it, but I think listening definitely, the podcast really makes sense. And you can't underestimate how cool 
cool it is to be in showbiz. So, but I, I think there is a part where you feel like you're part of this, you know, global internet entertainment community, education community. So you do have a, a voice that's kind of interesting and, and can build your own audience. Um, so, so I think that's an aspect. I mean, we generally feel that the people who like to do podcasts think that their strongest way of communicating is by talking to people. So some people may say, yeah, I'm not a great writer. I'm not this, but they can be really good talking to people or uh, talking with people. And so I guess, Tom, when I thought about what are the basic decisions that you want to make with a podcast, I to me, one that's super basic and really determines a lot is whether you feel that you want to go solo. And solo typically means these days that you're going to do an interview show or that you want to have a, a group podcast. So Tom and I have always, there's always been two of us. Sometimes we'll add a third person. You sometimes get podcasts that have three, four, five people on them as regulars. But I think that determination of solo versus group is very important. And you may say, God, I don't know how to do a podcast on my own, but maybe I can do it with somebody that I'm friends with. And that could turn into a really interesting option. I think having a podcast with other people definitely addresses that issue. Although from a technical standpoint, it creates new issues, I think. And so that we have to, we'll address those in just a second. I would say that the other purpose for a solo podcast would be more of the, I don't want to call that a lecture type. I, I maybe talk about the, the type where you're actually talking on a specific issue. You know, I want to sit down and talk to you about community property in your state. Let's talk about the basics of community property. Uh, I'll be honest, I've been sitting here and I think I've talked, Dennis, with you a couple of times. I've been wanting to, as part of restarting my blog, I've, I've wanted to do, you know, a five minute tech podcast for lawyers that come at the end of the week. All the technology stories that you need to know so you don't have to pay attention to it. Let me tell you what it is. It would be more like me reading the news and commenting on it. And I see that as being okay in a solo environment. Um, but that said, I think that if you're brand new to it, if you really want to get started with people, then it makes a whole lot of sense to work with other people. And it also can keep you on track because if you're if you're doing it with somebody else and you have a schedule and you feel that you're going to let them down if you don't do your part, that can be a, a benefit. Second thing that I really focus on is, uh, and I think this is super important, is to treat your podcast as a show. And so you say, okay, so there are podcasts, uh, there are TV shows, there's other things that you like. And so there's a point to them, there's pacing to them, there are segments to them. So when Tom and I put together this podcast, sort of our motivation was that we always presented, did presentations technology, but the two of us never really got the chance to talk about technology together. We thought the podcast would be a way for us to do that. Um, but we thought of it, say, okay, how is it going to be a show? And so we, we looked at podcasts we like. Uh, so pardon the interruption, the ESPN podcast, uh, the political gap fest, and we kind of came up with our own approach. And so, so what we do is we have the long segment that we call the A segment that's focused on a specific topic that we go into depth. We have the B topic, which we make all kinds of changes to over time. Originally thought we were going to do it just as a Q and A sort of segment, but it's designed to be shorter. And then we ended with the parting shots because we wanted to give people 
example, that one tip website or other idea that they could use right away. And so that becomes the format. And then within that format, you have your intro music, you and it's the segment approach also if you if you have advertising gives you slots to put the advertising into. And so I I think of it as a show. So you'd say, okay, I'm gonna if I'm doing interviews, it's gonna be set up that same way. If it's a discussion, it's gonna have segments so it feels like a show and it has pacing and and all of sorts of things. And so I think if you say if my competition is stuff that's interesting, this conceit of as a show, how do I fit into that? And I think once you do that, I think that helps you find your voice, your topics, all those sorts of things. I totally agree. And I think that figuring out who your audience is, figuring out what that format's going to be is a good start. But like you mentioned, we started with our, we've kind of stayed constant that our A topic has been a long segment, but that our B topic, we've felt free to experiment with it. When we get tired of something, you know, we had a period of time where I think it was me who went on a rant every week. And, and I, those once, were the days. Once I got my anger out, we moved on to another format for the B segment. But uh, I think that, that being flexible and changing things up, at least for us, I don't know how the listeners feel, but at least for us, I think keeps it fresh, keeps it more interesting and feels like we're not just dialing it in all the time. Dennis, what do you think is the right length of an episode? Well, so we've always felt and we've always made the target the mythical 20 minute podcast. Okay. So the idea of the 20 minute podcast is that it should fit <laughs> within most anyone's commute or their, their workout comfortably. Okay, so looking at the recording here, I see that we're already approaching the 20-minute mark on the recording, which isn't totally accurate because there's some time that we're going to take out of this one. So I think that you have that. You see a couple of models these days. So there's a, there's a bit of a movement where people are trying really short podcasts, this five to 10-minute range. And then there's just been an ex explosion this year, to me, of shows that feel free to go an hour, two hours sometimes longer and they conceive of themselves as a show and also i think they see themselves as the only podcast that some people listen to right and if you're in that environment i think you can do the longer things but uh if you're fighting for space uh, where somebody's listening to podcasts i think the shorter thing is right i still feel the 20 minute is about right but time we're consistently i think in the 35 to 40 minute range yeah, I still think, and if I'm being honest, I would like for ours to be a little bit shorter, but I'm starting to gravitate more to the 30 minutes as the sweet spot. I agree. There are some networks now where their podcasts have grown to an hour and a half to two hours each. And if I listen just to those podcasts, then I still don't have enough time to listen to all of them during the week. I, I think that's that's just too much time, too much content. I, I think that the, the nice thing about doing a podcast is you can make it whatever length you, you want to. There's no set rules. There's no expectations that if you just have something important to say and you can get that out in five minutes, like Dennis said, then do it. I mean, it's something that you have a lot of freedom about. I mean, likewise, in terms of the schedule, in terms of how often you want to record, I mean, that's really down to you. That depends on how much time. I think I would recommend that you don't go away for too long. I've subscribed to podcasts where uh, where I haven't had episodes show up for six months or so. And I I will say I've been pleasantly surprised when they've shown back up and decided to start recording again. But, you know, there's an argument to losing your audience after a certain period of time. And so it's something that you've got to commit to, whether it's, you know, once a week or once every two weeks or once a month or once every two or three months you know, set that schedule and try to stick to it. Because if you do gain an audience, then people are really going to have expectations of when you're going to be around. 
And then I think the scheduling thing can be tricky. So you need to understand your audience. So sometimes I'm, I, I'm actually always surprised when somebody says that they go to our website, the website for the podcast and listening, because that's just not how I do things. And then I know that certain podcasts come out on certain days, but because I get everything through my podcast app, I don't really pay attention to what days come out because I could be listening to them at any time. But if you want to have the Monday morning show and that's how you set up the show, then you need to do it every Monday morning. So I like having some flexibility there. I don't know, Tom, I want to, let's hit some details. So I uh, jokingly say the best advice you can get, uh, my best advice is to get a producer who handles this stuff for you. But let's focus on the do-it-yourself podcasts. The thing I notice is that podcasts, although I think people should focus on what their show will be and what they want to accomplish in their audience, people seem to really focus on almost obsessively on the tech, like what microphone, how do you record, that sort of thing. And so we'll give some opinions on that. And the other thing that I think is really important these days with podcasts is that because of NPR and the other professional podcasts, I think the standard for sound quality and production is actually pretty high with a podcast. And so so I think you do need to pay attention to what you use to record and how you record. So Tom, let's try to answer the, the class microphone question. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I There are still some podcasts that I listen to. There's at least one law firm podcast I listen to where it appears that they're all talking this far away and they're talking on a speakerphone when they're doing it. And it's really a bad experience listening to that. And on the other hand, I, I hear a lot more podcasts where they are done on professional or at least professional grade type microphones. So let's talk about those. I think that in terms of what we use, a USB microphone is just fine. That's the mic that I have. I have a microphone right now that's a Shure mic, um, which when I last checked, it retails for about 200 bucks on Amazon. I just plug it into my computer and we'll talk about the software in a minute but you know 200 is kind of the sweet spot you can go a lot more expensive to get a much more professional i won't necessarily say nicer but much more professional mic or you can go down to 50 bucks there are good high quality microphones for 50 dollars on amazon that are uh, that are just as good and provide a high quality sound as what we're using to record right now dennis what do you think yeah, I mean, I, I think we use the, I mean, I use this, this sure, uh, I think it's an SM58. I just call it the 58 microphone. It's very standard, used by entertainers, used professionally all over the place. I run it through this sure device called the XTU, which runs into the USB port. So it's an XLR microphone, goes into this adapter, then goes into the USB port. I think that gives you it a familiar sound for most people gives you high quality and is just a really nice basic approach. You're talking a couple hundred dollars. I mean, I think you can try some different things, but I think most people who've been podcasting a long time say if they start cheap on the microphones, they gradually go up the chain. So um, I think that sort of basic go with a professional approach. Like I have the two-step approach. This is probably what I would recommend to people because it's, uh, I think, professional easy to use sometimes you gotta be a little bit careful about getting the connections right but that's the the approach i would take and there are some accessories to uh to microphones i think are absolutely essential um and so the two of them which can sometimes be combined are the the pop filter first of all 
which keeps you from the plosive P's and T's, uh, which can be really apparent uh, and really visible when you start to edit a podcast. So there's pop filters and what they call windscreens, which are sort of the foam things you see often over microphones. Both of them are really beneficial and will make your podcast sound a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Having having one of those, I think, is an, an absolute must-have, and, and they're pretty cheap. They're pretty inexpensive to get, uh, again, from Amazon. So we've got our hardware. Let's talk about the software. If you're going to do it yourself, the choices, again, allow you to go from free to a reasonably expensive uh, recording tools. But having a recording tool that can capture your, your voice and that also gives you the ability, if you want, to lay down a music track or to have multiple tracks for multiple speakers. Um, so you want to have software that's not too advanced because you don't want to have to sit there and learn how to use something, uh, you know, something that's incredibly complicated and is only for sound engineers. But you also want it to be pretty powerful. The, the tool that, that we use for recording this podcast is Audacity. It's a free open source software tool. It is, I think, fairly easy to use. For us, it's really just a matter of uh, getting the right configuration, uh, turning it on, recording it, and then uh, taking that file and sending it on to the people who produce the podcast. But you can record a podcast within Audacity and wind up actually editing it and uh, producing the whole thing from within there with some pretty nicely advanced tools. Now, if you want more, there's tools like Adobe Audition, which is a more full-featured program. It's going to cost you more. It's going to actually be subscription price uh, with Adobe's Creative Cloud product. you can go as inexpensive as GarageBand for Apple. It makes a perfectly acceptable recording tool as well. And then there are a number of tools that if you want to spend a couple hundred all the way up to a thousand bucks, you can you can go for that software as well. Yeah, I, I really like Audacity. It's free. You can't beat that. A good number of people use GarageBand if you're in the Mac world. What I like about Audacity is that it's pretty straightforward, very you know visual. You can kind of see the track as it's going in. You can see your sound levels, and it has the basic filtering and effects that you would want to do, which uh, are sort of to normalize. I'm going to use the word wrongly probably, but sort of normalize. So you, if you have two people, you get their volumes about the same. And then a basic visual editing. So once you get used to seeing the waveforms, you can take out the ums and the uhs and the stutters and the, the pauses and, and tighten things up so you sound really good without uh, spending a ton of time on editing and you get a much better sound. The other option, frankly, is to find somebody who's in like an audio engineering student or new in that business who wouldn't mind having you come to their their studio or come record you and or take your recording and edit it and do it cheaply just for experience. So that's an, that's another option. Or using, I mean, there are freelance services on the internet like Elance and Upwork, and there are other sites out there that I think you can hire somebody online and say, look, I've recorded this file. Can you produce it for me and make sure you take all that stuff out and you you outsource that work to them? Um, It's not terribly expensive, but it's probably uh, a lot cheaper than the time you would spend otherwise billing your clients for things. So let's, I guess, maybe real quick, and I, I want to be mindful of the time. Where do you want to head next? I mean, when we talk about how to communicate, if you've got multi-host or guests, is that the next place to talk, Dennis? 
Well, I want to talk a little bit about the double ender so people are familiar with that. And then we can maybe talk about coordinating the people on. And then the thing I want to learn from you, because I never got involved in, is how you actually get it up so people can listen to you. But so we use the what they call the double ender. So Tom is in Dallas. I'm in St. Louis. We're having our call over Skype, but each of us is recording on Audacity our end and just our end of the call only. And then we take those two files in Audacity and we send them off to our producers or we would send them to whichever one of us were editing if we were doing a, a, a do-it-yourself. And that way it gives, uh, instead of trying to, to record a Skype call and wondering what the quality is going to be, we get the best quality we can on each side. So if we've done it right, it sounds like we're actually in the same room. And that gives it a much more professional feel to your podcast. If you have a guest, sometimes you have to have them on Skype and you get the best quality you can because they're not going to have the same setup. But the double ender is the sort of classic approach to get you the best sound quality when people aren't in the same place. So that's easy to coordinate when you have two people with the setups. But the other thing that we found really tricky and it's why we decided to go with two people on the podcast and we usually don't have guests is that trying to coordinate the cues as you move between speakers where you don't have video connection, you can't see each other is really difficult. So I don't know, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Well, no, I think that recording with multiple people can be a challenge for the same way that you just described it, which is that you've got to worry about will they be joining on Skype, that they may lack the tools to record the same way that you do. So most guests are not going to have audacity the same way that we would. I will say that I have recorded podcasts before um, using Skype with a tool called Voice Recorder. It's an add-in for Skype that actually does a pretty nice job. Again, it does, like Dennis said, it does depend on how good your connection is. But assuming you have a strong connection, you can actually record somebody talking to you on Skype and get a fairly decent recording that you can then load into Audacity or some other program and edit. So I think if you don't have the, the luxury of having that studio that can patch everybody in and record from there, then you do have to get a little bit creative. Again, I would say that there are also some podcasts where having that guest dial in on a regular phone line to where it's sound like you can tell they're on a phone. That's still acceptable. We still get that a lot on podcasts these days. It's still something that it, it, gives the, it gives the notion of the special guest dialing in from far away. And so there's not, I don't think, the same type of issues with that as you might have with the hosts uh, wanting to have a good, high quality recording. The other way I think to be professional about your podcast is to actually do some scripting. Now, we know people who script the whole podcast. And to be generous, in describing the approach we take, we're a hybrid approach. So I sometimes say the reason that we don't have guest hosts on is because I'm embarrassed if they would see what our actual scripts look like. <laughs> but typically you want to script the, the intro and what we call the outro and, and some of the this you know, the in-between places. Some people do a lot of scripting. We tend to do what I would call more of an outline, which as in this episode, we then proceed to ignore as we go through the episode. But I think that that scripting piece of it, and especially the intro, is really important to get to scripting and get some practice on that. And I think that gets your shows off to a really smooth start. So, uh, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about, so once you've put it all together, edited it, got it ready to go, what the heck do you do with the podcast so people can actually listen to it? 
So you've got to get that podcast out where it's hosted somewhere where it can be of use to you. You can't just store it on the same site that has your website because your web provider doesn't have the capability to, one, provide unlimited storage because you'd want something with the ability to hold large files. But also, it probably has some restrictions on the bandwidth, and that means the amount of people who would go in and download your podcast would likely exceed whatever your usual website restrictions would be. So there are actual hosts who will host your podcast for you. And when you look for them, you know, the ones that I like the most are, there's a a site called Libsyn. Libsyn's been around for a long time. It's kind of the granddaddy of podcasting hosts. One that I like a lot more recently is called SoundCloud, which actually may be bought by Spotify by the time this thing gets produced. And I like both of those, but, but no matter what host you go with, you want to make sure that they have a couple of features. You want to make sure that they can't modify or alter your files, that once you upload it, it's there and they can't do anything to it. Again, you want to make sure that it has unlimited storage, unlimited bandwidth. Um, you want to make sure that it has that RSS feed. You want to make sure that it's findable. So the RSS feed makes it easy. Nowadays, if you have a podcast app on your iPhone or on your Android phone, um, there's a directory in there that has all the different podcasts from usually iTunes is where it pulls from, but it needs an RSS feed to pull that. That's where your host can help you. You want support because obviously you're not an expert on hosting podcasts, so hopefully they'll do it. You want them to charge you a reasonable fee because you want them to stay in business. A free service is not something that you want to go for. And then on the nice to have side would be stats and analytics, you know, seeing how many people are downloading, which episodes are more popular, those types of things. So you can gauge your marketing efforts if you plan to track something like that about your podcasts. But if you're not sure about podcasting, there are a couple of tools out there that I think are really interesting um, because they allow you to just record on the fly. Anchor is one of them. Anchor is an app. And then Zcast is another app. And they actually just allow you to open up your app and say, hey, to your Facebook world or your Twitter world or whoever, I'm getting ready to record something on the latest court decision by the Texas Supreme Court. I'm going to talk about it for 10 minutes. Um, You can do that. It'll live on that website. Um, It's a good way, I think, to get started just recording things and posting them online. It takes a minimum of effort. You don't have to edit those and it's instant gratification. It goes online instantly. Um, That's kind of a nifty free way to get started. Uh, Dennis, I'm going to turn it over to you to finish out with whatever you want to finish the segment with. Okay. So I want to go back to Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N. We're going to do links in all the show notes. So people know how to find that. And Tom mentioned the RSS feed. I think with Libsyn and the other hosting places, that's going to come sort of pretty much automatically so so I don't know you know how concerned you need to be about that you just need to know it's there and then the other thing I think is that you know you've done things right when you see your podcast in iTunes and there's a cool feeling when you show people you know family or whatever that in iTunes that your podcast is sitting there so can't uh, underrate that feeling I want to leave with sort of my favorite tips based on some conversations I had recently so I, I think that sometimes lawyers say, what the heck can I talk about that's legal, that would be interesting to people that I can do on a sustained basis? So I have two examples of lawyers, one, somebody who's been quite successful and somebody who I think would be really successful if they just did this podcast. And I keep talking to them about it. So we have a we have a friend who is like a scotch expert, and he will tell you like all of these amazing things about scotch. And so even if you don't 
don't drink scotch, which I don't. It's just fascinating to talk to him. And I just keep telling him he should do a podcast that's just about scotch. Uh, he could interview people. He could just tell his stories. It'd be a great podcast. And it wouldn't be a lawyer podcast, but it could be very successful for him. The other one is is I ran into to someone who started doing a podcast, and they were interested in what I'll call the startup culture, you know, startup work with startup companies in their their locality. And so they went out, they started a podcast, and they started interviewing people in that community. And then it became like the thing to be interviewed by him and on his podcast. And you got the mayor of the town, people in all these startup companies. And then he became known as a lawyer who worked with startups and people tried to get on his podcast. And so as a result of the podcast, he talked to people who were super interesting to him, provided information to his community that was really great and got business on the side and had a great time doing it. And I think both those things are two great examples of what you can do with a podcast instead of sort of beating yourself up saying, I'm in this boring area of law, what is it that I can do? So it's sort of like, what audience do I want to reach? And how can I do that in a fun way with a podcast? Yeah, they're great tips. And uh, as you can tell, we love talking about this subject. So if you've got questions, we're going to give you information at the end of the podcast and how to get in touch with us. So if you want to talk more about it, um, maybe there's more fodder to talk about in another podcast, but we got to move on. Before we do that, though, let's take a quick break from a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. 2016 also seems to be the year of the drone. Now, there's been a ton of discussion about legal issues involving drones, but not much, if any, discussion of how drones might actually change the practice of law for lawyers on a day-to-day basis. That, of course, means that I've challenged Tom to take a look at that, <laughs> uh, that drones from that perspective. Tom, what do you think lawyers will need to know about drones and how they are used and how lawyers might actually use them in the practice. You know, when you proposed this topic, it reminded me of sort of the memes that we find on the internet whenever some new technology comes up. No matter what the technology is, there will inevitably be an article about it, how lawyers will use blank. Even if it, you know, how lawyers will use the Apple Watch, how lawyers will use the Amazon Echo. I think drones are no different, but I will say (laughs) that although I accepted your challenge, I'm really struggling, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what you've got to say. But in terms of practical uses of drones for lawyers, I would say I think that the jury is still a little bit out. I think there's a lot of things lawyers need to know about drones to advise their clients. Obviously, privacy issues. If clients have drones, there are a lot of legal issues that come from operating drones. There's probably some type of liability claim for damage caused by drones. And so there are a number of things lawyers need to be able to talk to their clients about or at least be aware about them so they can give, you know, refer their clients to the, to the right people. But as for lawyers using drones as part of their practice, 
So for me, if I'm thinking, as I have been a litigator, the most obvious use of the drone would be aerial photography and video. Um, when I was a litigator, there were a number of cases, primarily eminent domain cases, where I wanted to show aerial photos of the place. And we'd have to go to a company uh, that flew planes out and did aerial photography and finding the exact right spot and getting it cropped and getting it printed the right way was just such a pain. And being able to take a drone out and take a video and sweep over that property or be able to look at things, to be able to record from that angle. And now that they're coming out with drones that can do 3D modeling of what you're doing, I see a lot of application there that lawyers can use that to tell a story, to be persuasive, to close a deal on something and to show things from the air. I see those as being one of the best use of drones. You know, obviously, drones can be used for surveillance purposes, which might be useful for lawyers. I would watch out in that area, though. That comes along with a lot of potential negatives. I saw one article on the internet where lawyers or, or, or others could use drones to do, to do advertising. You could hang banners or other things from drones. I, I would imagine that that would probably be a lesser use of the drone. I, I really think that, that the ability to see things from up top and record it might be one of the best ways that lawyers can use drones. But I imagine, Dennis, you've been thinking about some other things as well. Wow, man, you had you had some really good ones there. I'm I'm like intrigued. I was thinking of the one where you're using drones to like fly around advertising banners for lawyers. I mean, if there's anything guaranteed to give the bar regulators a coronary, it would be it would be that. Uh, That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I think the for uh, the trial illustrative uh, evidence, you know, aerial photography, all that sort of thing is is to me the clear one. It's tempting to say that uh, you know. In certain firms, you know, when a partner can't find an associate to fetch his cup of coffee, he could like send it, have a drone deliver it. Uh, but so there are a number of things out there. So I think it's probably in the litigation area, as you said. I also think it's another example of where lawyers need to be aware of what's going on there, how the technology works, what data is being recorded. Is it just video? What do you do with that location data? And if I need to advise a client, it's one of those things where I think the more you understand what's going on, the better job you can do. So it could be in discovery, that sorts of things where the fact that you know the types of information that can be gathered can make your request for productions much more exacting and get you information you need. And so I think there are a number of things. It's kind of fun to speculate and kind of get away from like, oh, what happens if, if the drone gets loose and runs into somebody? It's sort of like, well, if I'm a lawyer, how can I use it? And so I, I just think it's a great thought exercise with new technology, which is uh, why I suggested it today, Tom. So, uh, now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So when I uh, noticed that uh, in the script that we put together that Dennis was going to do a television show for his parting shot, I thought, well, not only will I also join him in recommending a television show, I'm actually going to talk about one that deals with technology. And that is, I just finished the third season of Halt and Catch Fire, which is on AMC, but you can, you can download it from the streaming service of your choice, I believe. Halt and Catch Fire, for those of you who aren't aware of it, is a drama that uh, focuses on 
tech startups in the 80s. And so it starts out with, uh, with a small group in Austin or in, in sorry, in Dallas, uh, my own hometown, where they are starting to work on computers and online communities. And you hear about Prodigy and America Online. And they're playing the latest game, which is this Nintendo game with this guy named Mario. And the third season ends with them discussing the World Wide Web. It is a, I think, a fascinating view on how these things sort of came to be. It makes for good drama as well. The, the acting, I think, is very good. Uh, I think it's very well worth watching. Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Tom. And as you know, I keep threatening to bring more TV into the podcast. But I think that what I've... I, so I haven't watched that one, but, but what I've heard about it is that uh, especially once you got past the first season, it started to really if I can say this, catch fire and, and become right. no, it's, become good. Yeah, it's definitely gotten better. So my show is a new one, and I haven't watched the whole season yet, but this is a binge watch a choice for me. So uh, there's a series called Longmire. Uh, it's now in season five. It's on Netflix. It used to be on A&E, as I recall. It's based on a, a series of uh, the Walt Longmire mysteries by an author named Craig Johnson, who if you ever get the chance to see a reading of his totally works your time. He's really fun. And he he really takes the time to visit with people if you uh, in the line when they're when he's signing signing books. But this has a nice surprise for people who are Battlestar Galactica fans in uh, one of the actresses who's on the show. And it's a it's a great show about a uh, sheriff in the West. And it has all this great, you know, spirituality, crime, you know, big emotions, uh, great characters. And what I like about in the Netflix is that the shows go 59 minutes, uh, which means they go as long as they need to be. And so they felt constrained with the show because in commercial TV, it would be 43 minutes with commercials. And so by adding the extra 10 or 15 minutes, they're able to tell stories in a lot better way. So that's made the show even better to me. But if you wanted kind of a different perspective on things and uh, something that's set in the current American West. Uh, this is a very cool show. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes uh, or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, want to talk more about podcasting, for example, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.